0: Over and over in the scripture, God wants us to demonstrate submissiveness. We know biblically there's a relationship between submissiveness and humility. And we need to recognize godly authority over our life. Take out your Bible, let's continue in this first epistle of Peter and chapter 2. We'll begin where we left off in verse 13. We see, once again, based upon everything that Peter has laid out, set forth in this epistle, he tells us, in light of that, he uses the term, therefore, you submit to every institution of man. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. So, he captures our attention. He tells us that we're supposed to be submissive but you have to read the entire phrase because he goes on and just doesn't say, therefore you submit to every institution of men on account of the Lord, whether it be king as supreme or rulers, that through him they have been sent. Here's the key. He modifies the statement. He tells us, as a general rule, we're called to be submissive. We're called to recognize even governmental authority, but there's a purpose behind it. There's a clue that we need to understand so we don't make the wrong decisions. He's speaking about those that are sent by him. Notice what it says. For vengeance. Those who are in authority for the purpose of bringing judgment upon evildoers. We're supposed to recognize governmental authority that is functioning in this capacity. That they bring judgment, vengeance upon those who are doing evil. But the government that God has placed in power does not only that, but also it says, keep reading, but it praises, it has praise for those who are doing good. Now, what happens when a government changes? It no longer punishes evildoers, but rewards them. And those who do good, meaning those who are submissive to God's standards, God's ways, they want to exert vengeance upon them. We are never called to submit to ungodly authority. So we need to read all of what God's saying, not just take the first half and end it there. Verse 15, because thus is the will of God, and he says again, in regard to those who are doing good, And that doing of good is going to bring about, keep reading, a silencing upon the ignorance of foolish men. Now, it's that same word that we came across last night, although most English Bibles translate it ignorance, and that is maybe just unknowing. This is not what this word means it is not speaking to those who are unaware unknowing but it literally means those who are against knowledge the knowledge of god the knowledge of god's revelation they are hostile towards that knowledge and what's interesting is that god tells us such people he calls them foolish now when we are behaving foolishly that Foolish behavior is an invitation to the enemy. When we are behaving wisely, meaning we're acknowledging, what does the scripture say? The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. When I demonstrate God's priority in my life, I'm behaving not foolishly, but wisely. And therefore I have access. It becomes available God's provision so that I can be an overcomer. But when I reject, deny the knowledge of God, I am going to be behaving foolishly, and we see what the outcome is. It is going to be one who fails God. Failing God brings, it produces shame. There's no manifestation of God's glory, His presence god's will his purposes are not done there's nothing praiseworthy we saw earlier god is about authority that leads to him being praised now this is all important because he wants to come to another point point. and he's talked about being submissive according to his plans his purposes and then we come, and we mentioned this last night. Look at verse 16. He says, as your Bibles may say, free ones. It's literally the word for those who have experienced liberty. And I mentioned last night that this concept, liberty, is, is really a concept that many people are confused about. Because the liberty that God gives is a freedom to serve him. We see the paradigm in the exodus from Egypt through Passover. God brought the people out. He gave them liberty from Pharaoh. He gave them freedom in order that they could meet him at Mount Sinai. And there they received the expectations of God. That is his commandments. So we see that liberty is for us to receive God's instructions. We have the freedom to obey him rather than being in bondage to the enemy, being in bondage to Pharaoh. So verse 16 says, as ones who have experienced liberty, but he warns us, not having this liberty as a pretext, meaning an excuse, Literally, this word reveals a covering up, a concealing a hiding. He warns us, basically what it's saying is this, don't use this liberty in order to have an excuse for doing, notice what it says, for doing that which is evil, that which is apart from God's will. We've never experienced liberty to disobey God. God gives us liberty so that we can do his will. And furthermore, he says, verse verse 17, he speaks about, at the end of verse 16, this liberty for the purpose of being, once more, servants of God. Now, being a servant of God demands that we acknowledge God's creation. And therefore, he says, give honor. You give honor to all. You love the brotherhood, meaning fellowship, loving others. And also fear God. Also honor the king. And the order here is very informative. He tells us what to do in a specific order that ultimately brings us into a position where we can honor the king. Now, this purpose of the king being mentioned last shows a testimony. It brings to my mind the apostle Paul. When God told Paul that he is going to bear witness before kings and rulers. Not just anyone has that opportunity. But if you are humble, if you walk in submissiveness, God is going to give you a mighty platform. The the position to influence others, here he speaks about even being able to honor the king. Verse 18. What a change. Because here he speaks of servants. Now, let me simply say, biblically, That concept of being a servant or a slave is very, very different than the slavery of the world. Usually we're talking about one who has a financial obligation that he cannot meet. And therefore, for a limited amount of time, he is required to work. And the vast majority, he does not work enough to pay off that debt. There's a degree of grace only up to six years, and then that seventh year, his, his Lord, his master, must provide for him. And it's the next year he goes free. So it's not like the, the abomination of slavery that we think of in the world. But nevertheless, he says, look at verse 18. The servants, another emphasis on submissiveness, Being submissive with all fear to the lords, those who rule over you. Not just to the good ones that are gentle and reasonable. That's not hard to do. To be submissive to some who is good, gentle, reasonable. Anyone can do that. But he says also to the ones, and he uses the Greek term, I think we all know about scoliosis, right? That's that that disease in the back that causes the back to be crooked, not straight. That's the word he uses here. Even be submissive. Be obedient to those that are crooked, that are not upright. Why? Well, we're going to learn something that may not please us. He says, even if, those, those servants who are having an experience of a ruler over them that's unkind, not gracious, not good, but but crooked. Verse 19 says, For this is grace. What's grace? Grace is being put into a position to suffer. You say, how is that? Think of the cross. Biblically, there is a relationship between God's grace being poured out and Messiah's Messiah suffering on that cross. I'm supposed to be like him. I'm supposed to be conformed to his image, his behavior. So he tells us, verse 19, For this is grace, if through The conscience of God meaning this. If God is speaking to your inner person, and God is saying, you need to do this. What is this? It's suffering. He says, if through that inner conscience that God provides, one endures, endures grief and suffering unjustly. So when I'm in a position that I'm suffering unjustly, faith does not say, why God? Faith recognizes this is why God has given me his grace. So I can demonstrate my covenantal relationship with him by suffering. There is a relationship between receiving grace and your future suffering. There is a call upon every believer to suffer. We don't hear that enough. And the danger is this, because we don't hear it, when we go through things that are difficult, we're ready to to throw in the towel. We want to give up. This is what Messiah was speaking about when he spoke of being weighed down with the cares of this world. He speaks about, in the last days, the love of many, not a few, but the love of many growing cold. Why? Because when they so-called received that message, that good news, they simply thought, good things are coming my way. Prosperity. I'm always going to be healthy. God's going to solve all of my problems. He is going to be there to help me achieve my goals, my dreams. And... When things in this world change and they are changing, and when people begin to suffer because of that name, many people, they've never signed up. Their acceptance of the gospel was not a biblically sound gospel. It's what John tells us in 1 John that there's going to be many who go out from us, and the fact that they go out and depart from us shows that they were never of us, not believers. And therefore, he says here, look carefully. He says, the conscience of God, what he's placed within us, that inner voice of God, causes me to endure grief and suffering unjustly. He says, for what manner, look at the next verse, verse 20. For what benefit, literally the word is credit, Don't you want God to to give you credit into your account? To be pleased with you? He says, what credit are you going to receive if while sinning you receive punishment and you endure this? That's, That's righteous. When you suffer for sin, that's proper. That's God's order. There's no merit, there's no credit for that. But, here's what's important. Look at verse 20. But, if doing good also you suffer and endure, what does he say? This is grace from God. Now, I'd highlight that this is vital. What does he say? But if one suffers for doing good and endures this suffering, he remains in this suffering. This is the grace from God. Isn't that what your Bible says? This is the grace from God. I have a call to suffer. Every believer does. Now, where do we see that in the gospel? Where did Messiah tell us that? We all know the verse. Where he says, pick up your cross and follow me. If people do not know that we are called to suffer, they haven't understood the gospel. They had not heard the message of Messiah. He says, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If you don't expect persecution, you are calling him a liar. We are going to be hated, the scripture says, by all nations because of that name. This is going to happen in a unique way. When? In the last days. And you have to be spiritually blind to not see the foundation of all of that being laid in this generation. Things are changing. Now, what should we do? Luke chapter 21, verse 28. When you see all of these things, we haven't seen them all yet. But I believe things are getting ready for that. But he says, when you see all of these things, all the things that Messiah spoke of. Wars, rumors of war, pestilence, real pestilence. Disease, earthquakes, famines, persecution. He says, when you see all of these things, lift up your heads. That's a Hebrew idiom. Lifting up your head. Remember, the psalm says that he is a lifter of the head. What does that mean? That is a term of acknowledging. When these things get difficult, when you're suffering for him, he is going to acknowledge you. He is going to say, that is my son, that is my daughter. He will supply what we need. We'll see that in a moment. But we're called to suffer. That's the credit that we want to earn because we love Him. Verse 21. For this, suffering unjustly. He says, for this, you have been what? Called. Pretty clear. We don't hear enough of this type of teaching. Peter tells us, you have been called to suffer. That's why God has equipped us. See, you don't need much equipping to live a life of luxury. It just comes natural to us. But for suffering, we need that anointing. And God is willing, he is faithful, he will provide it. But understand what his call upon our life is. Verse 21. For this you have been called. Because also, who's our Lord? Messiah. He is gentle. He is reasonable. He is good. But nevertheless, because of his relationship with us through that covenant, we're going to be like him. It says, because also Messiah, he suffered in behalf of us. To us, he has left an example. Now, pay attention to this example. The ideal here is you demonstrating something so that someone else can do it. So, Messiah demonstrated how to suffer. He didn't fall to pieces. He didn't cry out in anger. He didn't speak insult to those who were insulting him. He suffered like a lamb. And this is the example that he's given to us. He says, Messiah also suffered in our behalf to leave us an example. In order that, this is a great word, in order that we, literally, your Bible may say, follow after, but it's a little bit more intense than that. It's to pursue something. You know, sometimes we just follow someone's leading and we just go where they're going. This is pursuing something, hear this, with a purpose. We want, what did Paul teach us earlier? When he says that he wants to know the fellowship of suffering. He knows that when he suffers for his faith, that's when he's most intimate. When he experienced the most of Messiah in his life. So he says in order that we follow after, that we follow after his Footsteps. Where did his footstep take him? The cross. Where are we heading to? Well, there's a great term in Hebrew, Misirut Nefesh. Nefesh, we talked about, that's the soul in Hebrew. Misirut Nefesh is pouring out, giving over, surrendering your very essence. The greatest example of that is indeed the cross. We're supposed to follow in those four footsteps. If we're not thinking that we're called to die for our faith, we haven't understood the message of the gospel. Verse 22. Who, speaking about Messiah, who did not sin. Now why is that there? Why are we told at this time He did not sin. Context. We are called to suffer unjustly. It is not right. We've done nothing to suffer. It is not justice. But likewise, Messiah. When he was nailed to that cross when he died, he had not sinned. There was not found in his mouth any what? Deception. He was perfectly innocent. As we talked about last night, that that blameless, that perfect lamb. There was no deceit found in his mouth. And likewise, we alluded to it, verse 23. Who, when insulted, and it's really a much stronger word. Much stronger than just being insulted. It is someone who is speaking harshly and cruelly against another one. Now, we know the expression to push one's buttons. Now, I've been married almost 35 years. I know how to push her buttons to really, really get her angry. And she knows how to do my buttons. And when we're angry... See, when we're walking in the flesh, we get a pleasure from hurting someone. That's humanity. In the ugly condition that sin placed us in. Messiah was never in that. When they were mocking him, spitting upon him, taunting him, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. When they were saying things such as this, He did not return insult to insult. When suffering, he did not make any threat to them. Meaning this. Now, couldn't you just imagine yourself having all of that power, knowing what's going to happen, saying, just wait. Just wait. You're going to get yours. He never said that. In fact, instead of taunting or threatening them, what did he say on the cross? Forgive them. Now that's something. Let's be honest. For most of us, we can't imagine going through such pain, a barbaric crucifixion, and thinking not of ourselves, but their spiritual well-being. But he did. And through grace, his grace that he provides, we can follow, what does the scripture say? In his footsteps. Not returning insult for insult, or when suffering, making some threat. But what did he do? Surrendered. Not just to what they were doing to him, but read the context. But delivering over to the one who judges righteously. He says, it's not me. My father will deal. He didn't say anything. He just knew there is a righteous judge. We have a perfectly righteous judge. We don't need to take things into our own hands for retribution and vengeance. That's not why we were given grace. Verse 24. Who our sins he has bore in his body upon the tree. Our sins. See, he was not thinking about what was being done to him. He was thinking about the necessity of bearing your sin and my sin on that tree. Why? He never lost track of his calling. One of the things that the enemy wants to do is turn you away from God's will for your life. And he will use such a, a multiplicity of schemes of deceit in order to get you out of God's will. That's the enemy. Messiah leaving that perfect example. He never turned away from that call on his life. Now, one of the things that we glean from that is, it's when we're in God's will, obeying his purposes, that we remain in that vine and we receive his provision in our life. When we turn to our desires, when we go our way, it hinders, it blocks God's provision. Satan knows this. Therefore, all that he does, this fear that, so, that we're so susceptible to, it's all deceit. It's all lies. We have nothing to fear from the enemy. He's lost. We're victorious. God says he will supply all of our needs. He is there with us to empower us for faithfulness, to obey Him. You don't need to doubt that. He's faithful. He says, in order that the sins that He removes, that we might live, He's taken our sins. Do you believe that? He has removed all sin from us so no longer do we have to be fearful of god's consuming eternal judgment that's been removed for us now we have another objective and that is notice what he says literally the word order is important for righteousness that we should live are you praying daily God, the purpose for today is for me to live righteously. That's how a true disciple prays. Their concern about, He's taken my sin. I have been justified by His grace. I have been redeemed by His blood in order that for righteousness that we should live. Because once again, His wounds has brought about our healing. Ultimately, that healing is a spiritual healing that makes us, by God's grace, his work upon the cross, acceptable in his sight. That solves all my problems. Because when judgment comes through the righteousness of Messiah that was imputed to me, given to me, I have that wonderful hope, assurance, That I have been made acceptable, that's what he's talking about, in the sight of God. Verse 25. Now he wants us to realize he understands the frailties of men and women. He says, when he closes this chapter, he says, for you, and the implication is you all, it's in the plural. For you as sheep have gone astray. That's our past. That is not the call upon us. That should be in the past. We have been disobedient sheep. We have gone the wrong direction. We have left the shepherd. But he says, but, then we have another word. But now had been turned back. And the emphasis, the emphatic word is now. In this covenant relationship, we've gone astray, but he has turned us back unto the shepherd and the overseer. Now, before we close, focus in on that word overseer. This is one who watches, who pays attention. Now, the context is, the first word, shepherd, the shepherd has one purpose, the well-being of the sheep. Messiah, we are the sheep of his flock. Our spiritual well-being is his purpose. I don't think he does anything inadequately. When he says it is finished, we talked about this, he did it perfectly, and he will watch over us as that good shepherd, and he'll do so perfectly. He watches over your soul. What's that? Your very essence, all that you are. He's paying attention to you. And he, and we'll see this in an upcoming study, He is going to supply, he is going to give what we need for our spiritual well-being, that we have a testimony that honors his Father. See, it's not just his love for us, he loves us perfectly. But remember John's Gospel. One of the things I love about John's Gospel is we see Messiah saying over and over, I'm submissive, I'm submissive, I'm submissive. I don't remember that in John's gospel when he says I came to do the will of the one who sent me that is submissiveness he sent me I'm committed to it now he has a different role now he's committed to our spiritual well-being why no change he did the one did the will of the one who sent him because he wanted to bring honor to his heavenly father And now he, in a different expression, but for the same purpose, he wants to bring honor to his heavenly father, and you are his vessels to do just that. He is totally committed to your spiritual well-being. That you live in a way that is successful. What does that mean? That you stay in his will. When he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, we can be assured that he's watching perfectly. He is that good shepherd. When we run into problems, when there's that attack, when the enemy is roaring like that lion, he's with us. And he's able, he lacks nothing. He's able to provide exactly what we need to overcome anything that the enemy puts us through. And if we go through it, be assured. Be assured. What did we learn last night? He knows everything about the future. And if he allows it, it's for our sanctification. So that we can obey God's will. And in the end, manifest his glory. It is not difficult to understand that call. We walk in obedience to his will. So that we can manifest his glory. And he's committed to us in supplying whatever we need. So that can be the reality of our life. That's the good news of the gospel. Peter, he knew failure. But he experienced restoration. And this man that scattered on his first coming. That night that that Messiah was betrayed, Peter, oh, I'll never leave you. Others may do so, but not me. Even if I have to die, things got difficult, he's gone. But that same Peter, after Messiah's resurrection, that same Peter laid down his life for his Savior. If Peter can go through such dramatic change, so can you and you, and you, and me. We're called to experience that type of change. support God's people by purchasing items made by them. Merchandise with a meaning, products with a purpose, Holy Land For more teachings, visit support or donate at TorahClass.com. Join with us in worship and enjoy God's Word at Seat of Abraham Fellowship.